Anybody remember the TV program Candid Camera? Years ago, the cast and crew of Candid Camera was sent to this uh, exclusive prep school uh, and uh, posing as uh, career consultants. These folks administered a battery of tests and conducted interviews with the different uh, students there. Uh, now, these students who um, you know, came from a very... Um, wealthy backgrounds and maybe had a little bit of sense of entitlement, expected the consultants, the so-called consultants, to recommend that uh, they become corporate leaders or research scientists or neurosurgeons or whatever the case. Instead, uh, one student was actually filmed on camera as he sat down with the consultant. The consultant opens up, you know, this file and says, you know, we've been evaluating your test results and we have decided that given your personality, your aptitude, your abilities, you should think about a career in shepherding. Now, I don't know how you would feel if somebody sat down and says, you know, as we've considered all the possible options, you ought to be a shepherd. Um, but when I was called to be a shepherd, I jumped at the chance. And I'm glad that I have, uh, have done that because that's what a pastor is. Um, the word pastor is related to pastor, absolutely. Um, shepherding is, is actually one of humankind's earliest occupation. It continues to, to be a, a prominent feature in uh, Middle Eastern life. Um, it's a prominent feature in many cultures around the world, our own included. And the, the well-known figure of the shepherd taking care of his flock is woven throughout the Bible. Uh, last week, as, as we looked at Jesus saying, I am the door, I'm the gate to the sheepfold, we saw how the, the chief duty of shepherds is to, to make sure that the sheep entrusted to their care uh, have plenty of food and water that they are safe, that they stay together, um, that they're protected from predators, that if they wander off, they'll be cared for. And shepherds, as a result of that, have a really tough life because they are never off duty. Uh, the thing is, sheep do wander off, and they don't exercise great judgment. You know, they don't think ahead they don't look at long-term consequences. They just kind of follow their, their appetites. And they are absolutely helpless and defenseless when left unattended. I mean, think about it for a second. Think about what a sheep looks like and how do they defend themselves. I don't see teeth and you know, claws and stuff. Um, and, and this is a, a particularly a problem for sheep in... Um, in you know what at one time was called Palestine, you know modern day Israel, the, the kind of central plain of Judea dips down on all sides to to these craggy deserts, where it's really easy for for sheep to get lost or or be injured or killed by predators. So as a result of that, shepherds live a life of constant vigilance and have to exercise real courage. Uh, particularly when their sheep are attacked, um, and they truly have to care, which is, in my judgment, one of the reasons that God 
is pictured as the shepherd of Israel in the Bible. I, I think it's no accident that some of the greatest people in the Bible are shepherds. I mean, think about it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Moses, David, all of them at one time or another served as shepherds. And if you think about it, what better way to prepare you for caring for a group of people uh, exercising leadership um, than to tend sheep? The, the skills that David and Moses mastered tending sheep proved incredibly useful when they were called to lead God's people. Now, in, in today's text, in John chapter 10, Jesus draws on this rich, familiar biblical imagery. And in the fourth of his great I am sayings, he applies it to himself when he announces, I am the good shepherd. It's been pointed out, by the way, that this is the last public teaching of Jesus that is recorded in the Gospel of John. All of Jesus' teaching from this point forward is going to be to smaller groups of people, to his disciples and so on. This is his last public teaching. And what's he announcing? I am the good shepherd. Now, there are two things that I want you to notice about that particular saying. Uh, for one thing, I want to point out what in, you know, may at first glance seem to be the least significant word in the sentence. Uh, the definite article, the. I am the good shepherd. That's a really important word. And why is it important? Because it's telling us, Jesus is telling us, he's not just a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's signaling his uniqueness. Number, number one. Second, I want to call your attention to the word good. I am the good shepherd. Why is he calling himself a, a good shepherd, not just a, you know, the shepherd? Uh, Israel had had more than her fair share of bad shepherds. Kings who weren't faithful to the Lord God. Uh, people who uh, assumed religious authority who really didn't care for the people whom God had entrusted to their care. Jesus was the good shepherd. If you want, want to get a little bit of a sense of, of this, and uh, it, it's really always helpful, I think, to look at things in historical context. And uh, we always kind of interpret the Bible through the Bible, looking at other passages in Scripture. And one of the best passages to understand what Jesus is talking about here is Ezekiel chapter 34, where God uh, appoints the prophet Ezekiel to speak to the so-called uh, shepherds who were supposed to be caring for, leading, uh, protecting the people of God who are totally blown off their responsibilities. He, uh, God, through Ezekiel, is called to call out the corruption of these so-called shepherds who were, were not just neglecting, but they were fleecing uh, the very flock that they had been called to protect. Listen to what it says. As, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock 
lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals because the shepherds didn't search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. You know, the background here in Ezekiel 34 is the people of Israel had been basically carried away into exile because of the, the neglect, um, because of the kind of self-promotion and so on of, of the people that were leading them. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this text is um, God says, my servant David shall be prince among them. Um, this was centuries after David lived. So what's he talking about when he says, my servant David will be prince among them? He's talking about the descendant of David, descended from the house of David, who will become the Messiah. So when Jesus announces, I am the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd, as opposed to these bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34, he is making a clear, carefully calculated and explosive claim about who he is. He is announcing that he is the Messiah. He says, I am. Remember from the very first message in this series, that word I am is the name of God. I am the, the definitive article, one and only, unique office. I am the good shepherd as opposed to those uncaring so-called shepherds in Ezekiel's time and, by the way, in his own. Because all of this teaching is done in the context of a group of scribes and Pharisees and other religious leaders who have demonstrated that even though they're responsible for the spiritual oversight of the people of God, that they really don't care particularly about the hurts of the people of God. In contrast to that, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And of course, he's pointing ahead to his death on the cross uh, for all of us. See, phony shepherds, phony shepherds don't even care. They don't care for their sheep. And he says that in, in John uh, 10, 13. See, and it, just to give you a couple of examples of this, uh, turn back a couple of chapters in the Gospel of, of John. Jesus had not cared a bit about the paralyzed man in John chapter 5 who could now walk because Jesus had healed him. Rather than saying, this guy can walk now, that is so awesome. God's at work in the world. They pick fights with Jesus. Uh, they did not care that the woman who had been um, uh, caught in the act of adultery and was about to be put to death for that was rescued. John chapter 8. She was saved. She had promised that she'd go and sin no more. And rather than celebrating the f that fact, 
they find fault with Jesus. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And rather than recognizing that as the messianic miracle, that it was a sign that the Messiah uh, had in fact arrived, um, they challenge the man who was healed, they challenge his parents, because the man who was healed doesn't give them the answer that they are looking for, they expel him from the synagogue. They didn't care. Jesus cared. So much that he was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And he cared because, precisely because he was the good shepherd, the Messiah who was promised by and sent from God the Father. Now that's kind of the, the big background. And, and with that as a background, uh, I want to spend the rest of our time together today thinking about what Jesus' words actually imply about us. Because I don't know if you picked this up or not, but everything that Jesus has said in these great I am statements is not just a statement about him, but it implies something about each one of us. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, you know, it implies that we have a spiritual hunger that only he can meet. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, it implies that we walk in darkness apart from him, that we can't find our way. When he says, I am the door, I'm the the gate to the sheepfold, it implies that we're kind of on the outside looking for a way into this life that we know is there, but we don't know how to get to apart from him. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, That has implications for us. We are his sheep. So let's take a look at at our outlines and and see if we can tease out what are some of the implications for us. Uh, For me, you know, maybe this is is obvious, but I think it it needs to be stated and, and identified. Jesus' sheep belong to his flock. Jesus' sheep belong to his, his flock. You know, there, um, there is something that is both endearing and a little bit insulting about our being pictured as sheep in Scripture. Um, y'all like that? Yeah. You, know, you're, you know, we're all a bunch of sheep. Um, it's endearing. It's insulting. It is also fitting. That's the thing. Uh, And why is that? Um, I don't want to make matters worse, but basically, you know, sheep are not always the brightest of animals. (laughs) You know, we saw earlier, they don't think about long-term consequences of things. They just kind of follow their appetites. You know, and because they just follow their appetites, even though they're much safer with the flock, even though they're much safer under the care of the shepherd, they, they're not thinking about any of that stuff, which is why they wander off and get themselves into trouble. And this is a fascinating thing about sheep, that they can get themselves into trouble that they can't get out of on their own. This sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> because we can create problems that we ourselves are incapable of getting ourselves out of. 
They are helpless and they are defenseless on their own. I think I was joking last week, this is true. You know, if sheep somehow weirdly trips and ends up on their back, they can't right themselves. They're safest when they're together under the watchful eye of a shepherd, but they wander off all the time. Um, and, and they wander off in blissful ignorance. Blissful ignorance. Unaware of the possible dangers that they face. And this is, this is so true of what our experience is as human beings. That's us. And this is why in, in the famous suffering servant passage in Isaiah chapter 53, a, a powerful, you know, this is one of the high watermarks of uh, Hebrew scriptures. The prophet says, all we like sheep have gone astray. If you're familiar with the Messiah, you can hear the, the music there. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We are like sheep. We are like sheep. That's kind of the bad news. Want to hear the good news? We might be sheep, but we're his sheep. We're his sheep if we belong to his flock. And why are we his sheep? What makes us his sheep? How do we know that we are part of the flock and that we belong to him? For one reason, because as Psalm 100 says, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. One of the reasons we belong to God is by virtue of the fact that God created each of us in his image and likeness. But it's more than that. It's not just that we were created by God, because everybody is, was created by God, whether part of the flock or not. There's a second reason. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in, in his sight. As Paul writes in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we're not just created, we were chosen by God before we were created to enjoy a relationship with Him. You know, another sign, a third sign that we are part of the flock is because we, and, and why we, we can know that we're His, we're His because we were bought at a price. We were rescued, we were redeemed by Jesus through His death on the cross. You were bought at a price, Paul says. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And, and we are his because having created us, having chosen us before time began, having redeemed us, having bought us at a price through his death on the cross, Jesus knows us. And I'll make it very personal. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows your personality. He knows your needs. He knows your temptations. He knows what we've overcome. He knows what we struggle, uh, continue to struggle to overcome. He knows what one day you'll be. And how does he know all that stuff? Because you're his. Because you are his. So, because we are his, we belong to his 
flock. And this is one of the reasons why I teach this every class 101. I'm going to miss teaching that, that class because um, one of the things I say at the very beginning is, you know, as you look at Scripture, you don't find Christians saying stuff like, oh, you know, I believe in Jesus, I just don't participate in worship or I don't belong to any church. When people believe, they belong. When they belong, they, you know, they come to believe. We belong to his flock. Second truth, second implication of Jesus being the shepherd and we, we being sheep. Jesus' sheep believe in his name. We believe in him. Now, this, this, poses, this, this particular passage for me poses uh, a really peculiar question and I'm going to raise it, but I'm not necessarily going to, um, to resolve it. And in part because Jesus doesn't resolve it, and also in part because this is a great topic of discussion in your growth groups this week. I want you to think about something. What accounts for the fact that some people who were with Jesus became his followers while other people who were with Jesus became his enemies, rejected him. It's interesting, in John chapter 10, this is a little bit of this chapter that I didn't include in today's scripture reading, just for the sake of time, but this group of people who became Jesus' opponents pose a question to him. They you know, they make a request. They say to him, if you are the Messiah, I mean, they get what he's implying. If you're the Messiah, they, they say to Jesus, tell us plainly. Jesus answers, I did tell you. I did tell you, but you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. What are the works? Messianic miracle of, of healing a man born blind. Nobody could do that except the Messiah. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. His words testify. But you do not believe. Why? Because you're not my sheep. You know, and, and here is, the, to, to me, one of the most interesting things. That everybody had access to exactly the same evidence. Everybody had access to exactly the same information. They all saw Jesus' miracles. They all listened to his teaching. They all heard his assertions. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the gate to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. They all have equal access to all this evidence. So why do some believe and others don't? And there's a sense in which that's a mystery um, we puzzle over 
to this day. Those who belong to Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, look at the evidence. It's not a blind leap of faith. They look at the evidence. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? What was in his heart? How did he treat people? They look at the evidence and they believe. Others look at the same stuff and they walk away unchanged. Why? I don't know. Except to say this. We do know Jesus' sheep, those who are part of his flock, those who are part of his family, believe in his name. Thank God that we believe because it means that we belong to him and we are his. Jesus also goes on to say something else that um, has profound implications for us, and that is that, that Jesus' sheep uh, hear and respond to his voice. It, it's, this is a really well-known, um, documented fact that sheep are able to recognize and will only respond to their own shepherd's voice. Did you know that? It's, it's really interesting. I've included a link in your version notes this morning for those of you who are using version, uh, where you can, can click on the link and it'll take you to a video. And the video's fascinating. For those of you who aren't going to do it, I would encourage you to check it out. What It was uh, filmed, I think, in one of Scandinavian countries someplace. And it's a group of students whose teacher takes them to this you know, kind of sheep farm and the kids, three, three different kids are given an opportunity to, to go up to the sheep who were kind of behind a fence and to call them, to try to get their attention, have them come over. First kid does, nothing happens. Sheep are just keep eating. They pay no attention. And second kid goes over, kind of embarrassed that they're doing it. But, you know, they call out, nothing Third time, exactly the same thing. Shepherd walks over, makes some kind of sound. Immediately, the sheep go. <laughs> they recognize him, and they all start running over. You know, when Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice," um, he he's really drawing an experience that people in the ancient Near East would have been really familiar with. This is what people who are around sheep know that sheep do. It's only when they are summoned by their shepherd that they will look up and recognize them and come racing over. You know, it's sort of like, um, like kids. You know, when, when your kids are really, really little, they'll only respond to their parents' voice, Right? Now, when they become teenagers, they will not, they'll respond to everybody else's, but, or, or like students, have you ever, do you remember back when you were in school, how, you know, you pay attention to your real teacher, but when the substitute teacher came, it's like, who cares? By the way, I'm not promoting that, but um, it's just, or like soldiers, um, you know, military personnel who will only recognize commands from a duly designated superior officer. 
Somebody else can tell them to do something, but they don't have to do it. They don't have to listen to that voice. But there, there are voices that they do have to listen to. And just like that, Jesus' sheep recognize his voice and they respond to him. Now, how is it um, that we respond to him? And, and here is another sign that we belong to him. Jesus' sheep follow his steps. We follow in, in his steps. My, listen to what he says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You know, this is another one of those marks of those who belong to Jesus Christ. We follow him. That's what the word discipleship means. It means to follow. And in the ancient world, you know, during the time when Jesus was teaching his disciples, Disciples would literally follow in the footsteps of their teacher, their rabbi. If he said, today we're going here, they would walk along behind him. It's really interesting that it says that we follow him. Because I'd like you to think for a minute just about the leadership style of, of Jesus. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't push us. He doesn't um, force us forward. He leads us. It's like that, that old hymn, Savior like a shepherd lead us. He gently leads us. He gently guides us. And, and how does he do that? I, I think in a couple of ways. One is through his, his example. His example is the one who came to serve. You know, the Son of Man came to serve, uh, not to be served to give his life as a ransom for, for many. His example is the one who came to serve, gives us a model of, of how to live. He's saying, you know, look at this. This is how you do it. This is the attitude you have, as, as Paul should have. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, have this same attitude among you that was in Christ Jesus, though he was equal with God, didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took the form of a slave. Have that attitude, he says. But it's not just Jesus' example, because there are a lot of good examples. This is, you know, would be limiting him to just a good moral teacher. It's also his authority. His authority as the great I am. His identity as the promised Messiah. I am the good shepherd, descended from King David. That means that we follow him, not just as an example, but we follow him as Lord. That his instructions and teaching and commands are authoritative, that they have a claim over us. And the amazing thing is that when we follow his instruction, not only are we blessed, and we are, when we forgive when we love one another, when we serve one another, not only are, are we blessed, but we show a sign that we belong to him. Jesus' followers um, follow his example when we follow his instruction. And you can't put your life on a more firm footing 
than being a disciple of Jesus and following as he leads us. Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and, see it's not just hearing the words of Jesus, not just reading the scripture, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, who follows up, will be like a wise person who built his house on a rock. You remember the parable, don't you? You know, one person builds a house on sand, the other one builds on a solid rock, and a great storm comes, and if we build our lives on sand like that house, it all collapses. If we build our lives on the solid foundation of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the storms can hit, but we're still left standing. And, and this is really um, the last point that, that I want to make, um, although there are many more, I suppose, that could be made. But according to Jesus' teaching in today's text, <clears throat> Jesus' sheep rest safe in his presence. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus says, I know them, and they follow me. Listen to this. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Talk about a sense of, uh, of eternal security. Talk about a sense of security in your salvation. If you belong among those who are part of Jesus' flock, no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. Now, don't, don't miss the great fact that Jesus... Um, leads up to this point by telling us that he knows us. Unlike those uh, sorry souls at the last judgment to whom, uh, according to, I think it's Matthew 7, the, the Lord will one day say, I never knew you. Can you Im imagine having Jesus say, I never knew you? Unlike those sorry souls at the last judgment to whom God the Lord will one day say, I never knew you, depart from me. For those who are part of his flock, Jesus knows us and will recognize us because of the relationship that we have had with him. And it really is all about relationship. Jesus knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us perfectly. He knows us through and through. You know, we can kid ourselves. We can't kid Jesus. You know, we can tell ourselves that we did something out of a good motive when we didn't. Or that wasn't really such a bad thing when in the sight of a holy God, it was. But Jesus knows us and he claims us 
and he loves us and he guides us and he sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes and prays for us and has promised to protect us and to keep us safe in his care forever. Listen to what he says. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never perish. You know that, that promise of Jesus, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, that ought to give pause to anybody who imagines that Jesus was just a great teacher or just a prophet of God, or just a, a miracle worker. Because it's only God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who can grant eternal life and promise that we will never perish and never be taken from his hand. Now Jesus is nothing less than what he says. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He is the doorway into that life that we know is out there and we all long for, but on our own could never find the way to. And he is the good shepherd. You know, just as um, Ezekiel chapter 34 is kind of a commentary on Today's text in John 10, and John 10 is a way of kind of commentary on Ezekiel 34. I think there's another text that really uh, helps us understand what Jesus is talking about, and that's the 23rd Psalm. Arguably one of the five best-known passages in Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths, uh, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. You know, I, I hope that, that your identity is grounded in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that you identify as a part of his flock We are sheep, but we're 
his sheep.